We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we are live. It is the Thursday evening edition of the Field of 68 After Dark. We are presented by our partners over at Bet River Sportsbook. My name is Rob Dosser. I am joined by the loveliest of lovely co-hosts, Terrence Oglesby, my partner on the DTF podcast, former Clemson sharpshooter, and Steve <laughs> Prome, former uh, Murray State head coach and former Iowa State head coach. Uh, real quick before we dive into the show, we are tracking Indiana and Iowa, and we are tracking Oregon at UCLA. Oregon is up 44 to 37. On the Bruins, Indiana and Iowa are locked in a one-possession game. There are about six minutes left in that one right now. Real quick, for the people that don't know yet, breaking news today. The Field of 68 After Dark is now going to be on Sirius XM starting on Monday, every night, 11 p.m. Eastern Time on Channel 84. That is the ESPNU station on Sirius XM. We are going to be on there. I don't know why they let us do it, but they did. Let's go. Gentlemen, Steve, T.O., how are we doing today, guys? What's going on? Doing good. Congrats to you, Rob and Jeff and everybody behind the scenes. That's a Don't, that's a don't great... congratulate Jeff. This was, this, was, this was me. Give me uh, all the take, credit. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take Jeff out. Take Jeff out. Everybody behind the scenes, Dagan and Greg and you. And that's, that's great. That's great. Great opportunity for you guys. So excited for you. I'm happy for you, too, and I'm glad that the world can now see what kind of team player that Rob Doster is right there. You see how quick that he took all the credit. He took all the Bruins game tonight. He's at a hockey game tonight. So there you go. That's it. Hey, look, being at it, he's at least he's at a game and not on vacation again for the seventh time. Credit goes to the man in the arena, right? Yeah. We had a lot lot to talk about tonight. We are definitely going to get into this Oregon UCLA game. Uh, We're going to have to talk a little bit about Gonzaga. They tip off. Right now, we're going to break down quite a bit of different stuff, uh, different topics in the Big Ten. We need to talk Michigan State. We need to talk Illinois and Kofi Coburn and Andre Corbello coming back. We need to talk Seton Hall and the loss that they took at DePaul today. I know the uh, noted Big East guy, Terrence Oglesby, is going to have some takes there. But first and foremost, Wisconsin beat up on Ohio State today. Uh, the Badgers are rolling. I think that's the only way that you can properly phrase it. The final score of that game tonight was 78 to 68. It's a little bit of revenge for a loss that Wisconsin took at Ohio State. That one was 73-55 back in December. Uh, the Badgers, they've won six in a row. Johnny Davis didn't even play well tonight. Tio, what do you make of this team? It all came down to my main man, Tyler Wall. I mean, how well did he play? Coming into the game, only 
what was he, 0 for 17 from three? And you got to be happy for the kid. Over the last three games, he's ended up with 16, 20, and 21. And just having an extra guy like that besides Johnny Davis and besides Brad Davison, give them that third weapon. If he can be that for them consistently, man, this Wisconsin team, it's not your grandpa's Wisconsin team. This is a high-scoring Wisconsin team. Got some weapons now. If Tyler Wall turns into another offensive weapon who can space the floor from his position, I mean, that just creates even more advantages for their team. And we had we had the, the, the head coach, the man of Wisconsin with us a little bit later. But golly, offensively, they're playing faster. They're more fun. And even on a night with Johnny Davis not playing well, when other guys are able to step up, this team is still dangerous. And that, uh, if you're a Wisconsin fan, you have to be really happy. Yeah, Steve, let me ask you this question. Uh, there is a style that Wisconsin teams normally normally play. And I know that you guys weren't in the same conference, but you have, you've had some experience going up against these guys, whether it's in uh, the secret scrimmages or playing exhibitions or whatever it is. So um, the what, what they're doing now, the way that they're playing with a guy like Johnny Davis is different than what we've seen out of a typical Wisconsin team. It's been a long time since they've had a guy like Johnny, maybe Devin Harris or Orlando Tucker. And we're going back uh, a pretty long way. That's before T.O. played. That's how you know that the, the, those guys are pretty old. So um, how how do you how, how difficult is it kind of to, to adjust what you do from season to season the way that Coach Card has? Yeah, I think what, what Greg's done, and you'll hear when we talk in our interview with him, is, you know, he's played to those guys' strengths. And, and Johnny's a phenomenal talent. And we were joking off air about the, the pull-up three in transition that he shot the other night. Uh, and somebody made just jokingly a comment, you know, what's Bo Ryan thinking right now? But I think when you have great players like that, especially a talent like Johnny Davis, who has a legitimate chance, like we talked about, to be National Player of the Year, You've got to give them a little bit more rope. You've got to give them a little bit more freedom. You've got to let them play through mistakes. Um, you know, Brad Davison is a guy that, you know, made huge shots for the night. You know, he goes four for six from three. He has 20-plus points. And so when guys like Tyler Wall and Brad step up, Johnny doesn't have to have his A game. You know, on nights when he struggles, he's got the, the other guys struggle a little bit. He's got to be that All-American. But I think Greg's given him a little bit of rope to kind of be himself. Johnny can score in so many different ways. You know, the old traditional Wisconsin way where they post those guards, you know, he can face you and drive you, and then he can make threes. Really, really good player, and, and, and Greg's done a great job of just kind of letting those guys be themselves. Steven Krause really gotten better around the basket, and he's, he's growing, and then they got depth there with Boyd uh, off the bench. And so, and Chucky Hepburn as a freshman is – they're good. And I'll tell you the one thing, and, and, and we hadn't talked about this yet, but you're getting halfway through the season now. In a couple of weeks, you know, the top 16 listing is going to come out. Well, you got one regional in Milwaukee, and then you got a final, so you got an Elite Eight, Sweet 16 regional that's going to be in Chicago. Well, they're 14 and two, and they're five and one in the, in the Big Ten. And he's not going to talk about it with his team, but that's things we need to talk about. Or we're going to. They're, they're trending towards the top two seed with some of the yep. wins that they have. I don't know how many teams are going to be able to put together uh, Houston on a neutral uh, yep. at Purdue. Uh, those are those are probably two of what the ten best wins that anybody has this season, and we're talking about a fourteen and two team. You know, yep. There's a a very real chance that this group could be a top two seed. And I'll tell you what, To, I think you're exactly right about Tyler Wall being the 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 way that they get to a ceiling 
right? In this six-game winning streak they've had, Tyler Wall has averaged 15.5 points in those six games. In the last three, he's averaged 19. He's gone for over 20 in the last two games that they've played, and I believe both of those are career highs, if I am not uh, mistaken. So I got to ask you, when you have that third guy going, what does that do for the other? Uh, we know what Brad Davidson is, and we know what Johnny Davis is, right? But when you have that third guy going, what, what, what? How does that open up the offense? How does that allow some of the 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 guys, the the stars, to go and make a play? Well, if he shoots it well, it sp- spaces the floor. But to go back to what you said about Brad Davidson, I think people forget. Like, sorry, I'm not even answering your question. I'm taking this completely. Yeah, go wherever way. you want, man. It's, <laughs> it's your show. You're the star. But, but but I think people forget and they get caught up in the wrong stuff with Brad Davidson. That dude's a really good player, and regardless of the elbows, the emotion, all this stuff that he does, the guy does winning things. 25 points tonight, guarded the, guards everybody, can stay in front, knocks down shots, and he. it seems like every time that a team makes a run, it seems to be Brad Davison. I think that's why he gets on everybody's nerves because he just kind of makes things happen at the end of the game. Right when E.J. Liddell fouled out, he knew right away who how many fouls he had, who was about to sub out of the game? I think there was five minutes left to go. Now, that's significant, too. But that team guards. There's a toughness about them. They, Ohio State went three of 19 from three. For them to be able to cover space, guard the three-point line, especially when they shoot the ball well from three themselves, I mean, that was the biggest difference in the game tonight. Ten threes to three, I mean, in Wisconsin's favor. And Wisconsin has not shot the ball well from the perimeter this season. That's one of the right. things that we asked Greg Garg about in this interview that we got coming up. We were able to catch up with him uh, a little bit earlier this evening. And now let me welcome on to After Dark Wisconsin head coach Greg Gard, fresh off of a win over Ohio State. Coach, thanks for being here, man. Congrats on the win. Hey, thanks for having me on, Rob. So I, I got to ask you this. As of right now, I, I think we all kind of agree that Johnny Davis isn't just in the conversation for Big Ten Player of the Year, but he's up there among the ranks of the, the national player of the year candidate. So I got to know, I, I didn't see this coming. When did you realize that you had a, uh, he had a chance to kind of have this kind of a season? Well, I don't, I'd be lying if I said I saw this type of a season coming because obviously we lost a lot off last year's team. We had a lot of new faces and had to come together, but um, you know, just what I saw this summer um, and just his growth physically weight room was, was huge for him because he didn't have it a year ago coming into his freshman year. And then the USA basketball experience with the U19s, there's no doubt that that got him out of his comfort zone here a little bit. And he had to go, you know, make that team and then travel to Latvia uh, and played well. And when he came back, not that he has ever lacked confidence, but he was at a whole nother level uh, when he came back. So that, that gave me a pretty good sign when he walked back in July, I thought we were going to be pretty good. You know, the definition of pretty good is pretty wide. I didn't know where we were going to fall in the spectrum. We still got a long ways to go. We can continue to get better, but uh, you know, he's a he's a good central piece, and we got a lot of good players around him. Coach, congratulations, man. Great win and obviously great start. Uh, we all know how great your league is and how hard that is. And like you just said, it's today's today and then tomorrow's tomorrow. But right. what's it like coaching? And obviously you've coached a lot of really good players and you've got a really good team this year. But Johnny's got a legitimate chance to be national player of the year. What's it like coaching a guy like him? You know, it's very similar to coaching Frank Kaminsky when we had him as national player of the year. And in terms of, you know, the really good ones are really good because they want to be on winning teams. And, and that was all Frank was ever concerned with about winning. 
and really didn't care about the individual things. They came because he was really good and our team was good. And Johnny's wired very much the same way. He, he has told me from way back last spring when we got together after coming back for our, uh, from the NCAA tournament and gave him a couple of weeks off and then our postseason wrap-up meetings, he said, Coach, I don't, I don't care about the individual things. I, I just want to make sure our team is really good. And he's, that's all he's focused on. I mean, really, I've said all along, his number one skill is his competitiveness and how he approaches every day and, and uh, wants to compete in practice. And if it doesn't go well, he wants to get back in there and even the score just in practice. So uh, when you have that type of drive and that type of mentality, uh, and then you add obviously the other physical tools that he has, you have the makings for a really good player. Hey coach, enough about Johnny Davis. He's great. <laughs> no, we were like, we've talked about him. You got a lot of other pieces, man. Brad Davison, he's good. But the guy that stood out for you tonight, Tyler Wall was terrific. And over the last three games, he's been really, really good. 21, 20, how nice is it to have moving ahead in the season to have that third guy be able to give you quality minutes? Yeah, that, that's important. And, and, you know, and Tyler's taken the step going from a sophomore to a junior this year. When you cross that threshold of being going from underclassman to upperclassman, uh, you know, responsibility comes with that, but he wanted a leadership in a bigger role and, and obviously he's earned it, but just his confidence that he's playing with. Um, he's, you know, he had another tough defensive assignment tonight with EJ Liddell, who's a great player. And, um, you know, but he's been able to be very aggressive and confident offensively because he's gotten better. Uh, ball handling's gotten better. He's gotten stronger, uh, you know, shooting the foul line better. And he's, he's a hard at that size and as athletic as he is, he's a hard matchup because he's almost like another wing on the floor when he attacks and he, and he's really good in the post. He's got great footwork, great feel can use either hand. Um, and and, he, and again, much like Johnny, he's wired a little different in terms of how he competes. He really gets after it. Well, coach, you guys are playing almost at like a little bit of a faster pace this season. You guys are running a little bit more. Is that just taking advantage of, of some of these, these talents that you got on the roster this year? Yeah, I mean, I, I've always tried to uh, adjust and adapt. I think any any coach would tell you that you would try to find what you're good at and, and maybe tip the needle a little bit that way. I mean, we still we still touch the post a lot. We still want to take care of the ball. Um, you know, we're top two or three in the country in that, and I think we were number one last year. But that's important. Defending is important. But if if I find that we've got some skill sets that are, you know, we can play a little bit more in transition or our defense gets us some offense, um, you know, as long as we're not reckless with it and, and we don't throw it into the tuba section, uh, I'm okay with, you know, with pushing it at them and, and getting what we, whether it takes five seconds or 25 seconds, let's get the best shot for us. And, and then they know that you have to defend, you have to rebound, playing hard is a non-negotiable and, and offensively, um, you know, they will they'll be aggressive in transition and take advantage of it. And we have some players that can do it. Obviously, Johnny. Uh, Brad shooting threes in transition. Chucky Hepburn as a freshman has done a really good job just kind of being a calming, very mature for his year um, freshman. He doesn't play like a freshman in terms of his mindset and how he handles and, and directs it out there. So, you know, it's just a group that's really come together really well. And we've got a lot of pieces and, and a bench that is a, a good supporting cast. And, and they, again, they just play hard. They play hard and they, and they love competing with each other and, and for each other once we get to game nights. All right, one last question. I'm putting you on the spot. You have to answer this, okay? <laughs> you uh, you are a Packers fan. Your damn right team. Your your yeah. team <laughs> is in the playoffs. Unlike uh, the team that that Coach Prom over there 
uh, likes to root for. So I got I got to ask who, you right who, now, uh, Steve, who you wrote for? I'm diehard Washington without a name. The team looking for a name. Oh, the football team. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I wish we could get Aaron Rodgers. I, did, I thought, I'd rather yeah, so, does every, so does everybody else. Um, I have a little bit of a affection for Dallas because I'm uh, Mike McCarthy's a good friend and got to know him really well when he was with the Packers. So, um, and he's done a great job with Dallas this year too. But yeah, you're, it's kind of like a birthright here in Wisconsin. Like, um, I got a lot of Vikings fans. All those Minnesota guys are Vikings fans on my team. And I got a couple Bears fans, Giants fan, a, a Redskin. I think we might have an Eagle, an Eagles fan. Jordan Davis is an Eagles fan. So we're a little bit all over the map. Patriots fan. Chris Vogt's a Patriots fan. But um, so, you know, when I, I can, I got a little bragging rights right now, at least in the NFC North with Chicago. Well, I, and Minnesota. I need an official prediction from you. Are the, the Pack going to win it? Well, I got to see who we got to play. You know, come on, Rob. We take it one game at a time. Let's <laughs> the matchups. You know, it's be some tough matchups, but I'm sure it'll be nice and cold up in Lambeau when we do get to the first game. Real cold. Well, listen, man. We appreciate the time. Thank you for being here. Congrats on a great season, and we look forward to uh, to watching you guys throughout the rest. Hey, of the- hey, you bet. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. I see everybody else on here. I wonder when I was going to get an invite. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Johnny's been too good. We've had Johnny on twice now, so he's just been too good. <laughs> He missed yeah. some shots tonight. Yeah. So we, had, we had to settle for you. Yeah, you go to <laughs> yeah, to go to the backup plan. I get it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I want to ask you a question, Steve, because he mentioned the U nineteen, uh, the impact that playing on the U nineteen team has had with Johnny Davis, and we've heard that over and over and over again. And I know Jaden Ivy's. Uh, mentioned it before in some of his interviews you had an experience with a player on your team by the name of Tyrese Halliburton people have probably heard of him uh, that had a chance to go play on the U19 team then come back and turn into a lottery pick so what what is the impact and how does that help some of these kids yeah you know been fortunate to have a couple guys play in the under 19s in a couple different uh, countries but Tyrese uh, you know getting invited first of all after his freshman year had a terrific freshman year I think number one it kind of uh, it gives them another level of confidence to where, hey, you know, hey, I, I think I'm pretty good, but let me see what I am on the national stage. You know, to, you know, how good am I? Do I really belong? And then you go there, obviously you win gold, but his numbers were terrific over there. His assisted turnover ratio was phenomenal. Uh, he was a terrific leader. His coaches raved about him over there. But I just think it gives you another level of confidence, uh, both on the floor, but also leading off the floor that you know what it takes and that you can help, you know, teams, teams ascend. And I think it was obviously great for Johnny Davis. And we were talking off air. I mean, Kennedy Chandler was on this past team with Johnny Davis and, you know, Chet Holmgren and, and several others. Uh, phenomenal team. Yep. So this is the field of 68 after dark. My name is Rob Doster. I am joined right now by Steve Prome and Terrence Oglesby. We are monitoring the games that we have right now it looks like iowa is going to end up pulling away from indiana uh shout out to chris murray man he's got right now 28 points 10 boards three steals two assists and two blocks that is a stat line that we normally expect to see out of his twin brother uh keegan if he if we can get chris murray going like that then that makes that iowa team that much more dangerous uh ucla still trailing oregon it's 57 55 with nine minutes and 20 seconds left on the clock there uh we're going to talk some big 10 hoops right now though uh, I, I do want to ask you guys, Prom. you made a joke about this a little bit earlier. Uh, you said, is it still Purdue 
against the field. And I don't think that it's Purdue against the field now. Wisconsin is rolling. They've won six in a row. They're sitting at 5-1 and one in the league. Uh, Michigan State is rolling. They're 5-0 and oh in the conference. They haven't really played anyone, but 5-0 and oh is 5-0. and oh. And Illinois looks like maybe the best team in the league right now. They're sitting at 5-0. and oh. Kofi's been a monster, maybe the national player of the year. So, T.O., I'm going to you first on this one. Who is the best team in the Big Ten today? Right now, without right Andre Corbello coming back. I like Illinois anyway, but the thing is that what scares me, and I'm sure Coach uh, Prom will talk about this here in a minute, is whenever Corbello does come back, I mean, that is a big emotional piece. And are you going to insert him in the starting lineup? Are you going to bring him off the bench? And I think the best thing going forward for Illinois would be to bring him off the bench because I think he can provide a spark of energy. He can provide some offense when things get stagnant. And I'll be honest, guys, I think he's a little too emotional to be relied on for 40 minutes. I think we saw it early in the season. He gets so wound up and so tight that some of his decision-making gets questionable. This team's moving the basketball. They have so many good shooters on that team, uh, and they have the unstoppable force and the immovable object, whatever you want to call him. Uh, (laughs) Kofi Coburn, uh, like you said, could very well be the national player of the year right now. Him and Johnny Davis are 1A and 1B for me uh, just because sheer dominance. And look what their teams are without them. I think that's a big point, too. Yeah, well, Steve, I, how, how, how are these teams, when you bring back a piece as big as Andre Corbello, how, how do you do that as a coach? Like, when you're rolling, right? They struggled with him earlier in the year, and there may have been some, you know, he's dealing with some concussion uh, concussion symptoms and, and whatever. But when when you bring in a guy, after playing so well, how difficult is that to do to kind of uh, ingrain them into the team? Yeah, I think it's difficult in a lot of ways because you're, you obviously you've got a great relationship with the kid in Corbello. You know, Brad does uh, obviously cares about the kid immensely, uh, but his team's playing extremely well right now. I mean, Trent Frazier the other night, he gets 25. He's playing with the swagger. Him and DeMonte Williams are older guards. Uh, and Andre came in the year with with a lot of expectations and a lot of praise. And, you know, placing a terrific player like Io. Uh, I think the one thing it does for the Illinois team, it, it right now they know they can win without him. Uh, mm-hmm. Number two, when he does come back, if he has some up and down moments, they know they can feel comfortable putting him on the bench, letting him regroup, okay, and then bringing him back into the fold. Uh, number three, I think the strength and the leadership is very good on that basketball team. Going up there a couple of days, watching them play, being around their program, watching them practice. I think they've got some older, very experienced, you know, savvy veteran guys. Uh, Their ability to shoot the ball is huge. But the one thing Corbello can bring them, when they get in foul trouble and Big Kofi is out of the game, they're going to need ways to score the basketball. They do have great shooting, but they need playmaking to create opportunities. When Kofi's in there, we're we're so focused, we're going to get open threes that way. I think Corbello will bring that to that team, you know, later in the year, giving them a spark, giving them some scoring opportunities if Kofi's out. But it's a tough transition, uh, obviously, because Andre's probably coming back expecting to play. Mm -hmm. And if you're watching right now, make sure you guys uh, on YouTube, you hit that like button, you hit that subscribe button. Any kind of interactions that you have with these videos on that channel really does help. So if you do like what you see here, that's all that we can ask you to do. T.O., I got to ask you about Michigan State, man. Are you buying them? Are they back? Are they hashtag back? 
Hashtag back. Well, if their point guard play keeps up the way it has, I think they are. And Gabe Brown and Malik, they've been tremendous. I love Marcus Bingham Jr. I think he's finally turned his potential into the type of production that Michigan State needs. Now, is he going to be able to guard Kofi Coburn? I have my questions. Of course, I don't know that many people can guard that young man. But it's a team that's playing really well together. They do they do a good job on the boards and they really guard. Gabe Brown has turned into the player that a lot of Michigan State a lot of Michigan State fans thought he was going to be. He's been very reliable, over 14 points a game. And AJ Hogard, we talk about point guard production. He's got the second highest assist rate in the country, up around 44%. I mean, his ability, I think his growth over the past season or over the past year. I mean, it's been noticeable, and guys are starting to figure each other out. Earlier in the season, we were down because we're like, we don't really know how they're going to improve because point guard play is still a question. They're starting to answer that question, and they're able to do it with both him and Tyson Walker, whoever's playing better that particular night. Yeah, both of those guys have a really impressive assist rate. Steve, what is it What is it about Tom Izzo that allows him to be able to get guys like this together? Like this, If you look at this roster, who there's not really anyone that you're afraid of, right? Like Max Christie's probably the dude on this team, but he's still just kind of a freshman that has been okay for, for most of the season. So what is it about coaches that gets these guys to be able to buy in and execute what he wants them to do? I mean, it's easy to say, you know, number one, he's a hall of famer, but I just think you're going, it's Michigan state. You put that Jersey on, you play for Michigan state. You represent a, a great, great trend, trend, excuse me, tradition in a great foundation. But number one Izzo is going to challenge him. He's going to hold him accountable. They're going to defend. They're going to play with phenomenal pace, pushing from a to B when they get the rebound. Uh, and they're old, you know, Michigan state seems to always be old to me, you know, older guys, you look at their top seven guys. We've talked about it several times. They're very deep. They'll play nine guys, seven guys, average seven or eight points or more, but they're old and they're physical and they're tough. And I think Izzo takes pride in winning with teams like this. And they've got, you know, you go play for Michigan State, you got a lot to live up to. But I think it's the accountability uh, that, that Tom holds all those kids to. All right, so where are you guys ranking Purdue at this point? And where are you ranking Wisconsin? If we look at it, Illinois and Michigan State are both 5-0. and Wisconsin is five and one. You got Ohio State at four and two. Indiana, uh, they are now three and three after the loss they just took. That game is over, and Purdue is sitting there at two and two in the conference. Do we have Do we have a favorite? Are you ready to to crown someone the favorite in this league? Way too early <laughs> in a league that plays what twenty games. Uh, and right now, you look at Michigan; they've only played three games. You know, you kind of look at the loss column sometimes because when it's an imbalanced schedule right now, and because of COVID. You're really more looking, all right, how many losses do we have more so than wins? Because you got to keep up in the loss column or keep, you know, and Michigan's only got two losses right now. Purdue's only got two losses. But everybody in that league, the league is too good that everybody in that league is going to go through a stretch like Purdue did where they have a one and two week. And it hadn't gotten to Illinois yet. It hadn't gotten to Michigan State. But it's coming. At some point, it's coming in my, you know, in my experience. Yeah, and I'll tell you this much. Uh, the first night that we have this show on Sirius XM is going to come after Illinois and Purdue play in Champaign. That is going to be uh, a fun one to watch. Uh, for those listening right now, this is the Field of 68 After Dark. My name is Rob Doster. I'm joined by Steve Prohm and Terrence Oglesby. Remember, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button if you are watching this on YouTube. 
uh, right now. Indiana ended up losing. Um, Iowa. Hey, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. What are we just going to throw Wisconsin to the wolves? We're, we're going to spend the first. Oh, well, I, I didn't know. That's what I. Yeah, I didn't know. Are we were we going to keep going? I didn't know we'd cut off on the Big Ten too. I, I was. No, I was about to bring up like, Iowa and ask you how much of a threat that they were. Like what we we just saw. We know how good Keegan Murray is, and we just saw how good Chris Murray is. So when those two are rolling, like what is what, what should we make of this Iowa team? Is it just simply? when they decide they want to get stops like they did in the second half tonight against Indiana, they're going to be really, really good. Cause right now entering this game, they were a top three offense in college basketball. They were 154th in defensive efficiency, uh, according to Ken Palm. So what is it, what is it about this group? By the way, for the record, for the, those of you listening at home, uh, Oregon is now up 64 60 on UCLA with six minutes left. So that is definitely something that we are going to have to continue to monitor. But uh, Tio, how dangerous is this Iowa team? Well, I mean, when here, here's the thing, and I think it's been proven this year, whenever you have the best player on the floor, you're going to give yourself a chance. And that's the reason, even when Wisconsin plays Illinois, I still see it as possible that Wisconsin can beat Illinois because they'll have the best player on the floor. They won't have the most dominant player, but they'll have the best player on the floor in Johnny Davis. And Iowa has that same thing. Whenever they have Keegan Murray in the game, the, the chances are they'll probably have the best player on the floor. So that's always going to give you a chance. They're going to have to guard, which I'm kind of shocked that that they're not guarding a little bit better, but that, that's kind of been their MO for the past couple of years, right? They haven't been able to guard really at a high level consistently. So obviously they're going to have to turn that on, and they have the bodies to be capable of doing that. You wonder uh, when it's finally going to click on that end. I'm watching glimpses of Arizona. Man, they're good. Holy smokes. They just yep. pop on over there. <laughs> They're averaging 90 points a game, not to get off the Big Ten. But, you know, I, I agree. I think, you know, the, the, that Michigan State, Illinois, Wisconsin, Purdue, those teams are so good. And we got a long way to go in that race. And, you know, that's why it always come with so many teams in that league. That's why a lot of times it ends up with a, you know, a tie for the championship, a three-way tie. The Big Ten at times have had four-way ties for, you know, yep. league championships. But, Right now, I think it's, I'll tell you. I'll tell you this much: it, it's it's really going to be a fun conference race to watch. Yeah. I, I think, I think the SEC um, now that Auburn has kind of solidified themselves to me as, as the team to beat in that conference. Um, I now think the Big Ten is the one that I'm really kind of looking forward to seeing how that race ends up playing out. I, I mean, we we say it every year, and maybe it's just a result of like Big Ten teams playing Big Ten teams over and over again. But if, man, that that league is so freaking good at the top I, I don't think there's any other conference that can kind of match them in terms of the uh the top four or five teams in the depth that you get out of the probably the top eight um or so we can't write off purdue either we can't no, write off of Purdue. like they're, they're number one offense in the country they're shooting over 40 percent as a team from three and they have some behemoths on the inside it they haven't guarded well they're close to 70th in the country in defense they've got to guard better but with their size, their closing ability, because of their athleticism with Jaden Ivey, I think like he's by the time the end of the season happens, he's going to start making better reads. The team can shoot it. They've got size. Purdue's still really good. Now, Purdue or the field, going field, completely changing my mind. Earlier this year, we had this conversation, and I picked Purdue. The rest of the Big Ten is it, it's a dogfight every single night. 
Yeah. yeah and, and you look at Purdue too, you know, they'll get one back. I mean, I know they lost at home to Wisconsin, but whether it's Monday night at Illinois, they're going to get a big road win or two along mm-hmm. the way uh, just because they're really good. Uh, but, you know, early season, you know, now you, you obviously you're scouting more and in, in the big 10 league play, it's, it's, it's a gauntlet. And so, but I think those four teams have definitely separated themselves in that league, in my opinion. Yep. All right. So we're, uh, we're keeping an eye on this UCLA game. The Bruins are really struggling to find good shots in the half court at 66, 63, four and a half minutes left there. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about um, some of the West coast hoops now, because it has felt a little bit like, you know, there are, there are, to my, in my mind, there are four really, really good teams, four title contenders out West. We've all seen Arizona playing great, uh, playing entertaining games, been on national television. They had a game against Tennessee. They had the game against Illinois. Everyone's in on Arizona at this point, right? But it does feel a little bit like USC, UCLA, um, and even to a point Gonzaga have been a little bit out of sight, uh, out of mind, um, dealing with some of the COVID stuff and, and, and dealing with the fact that Gonzaga is now playing in the W. Uh, CC. So, uh, yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know Gonzaga even played games from mid from beginning of January until about mid February. I I thought they just in a dog fight right now. I I know that uh, there is one person that may or may not be producing this show that is really hoping that uh, Gonzaga (laughs) finds a way to win by 15 points tonight. That would be that would be nice for uh, for for a portion of this broadcast. But where where do you guys stand on on kind of the the top of the West Coast in general, Steve? I want to go to you first on this one. How how good are these teams? I know you're just talking about Arizona there, but how how good is this group of teams at the top? Well, I think, you know, Gonzaga has proven themselves to be very good. I know they beat, you know, a new Texas team early in the year, but, I mean, Texas Tech's playing really well right now, and, and they beat them, you know, what was it, eight or ten points out there in Phoenix, or I think it was Phoenix they played. And that was uh, – it was I think the final was eight, but it was never really that. They were up by like 14 for a lot of the They season. won by 14. Yeah. yeah. And and then obviously they beat USCLA and, and then Duke and Bama, their, their losses to where this Gonzaga team is really good. And so I'm a big believer in Gonzaga for sure. UCLA, I still think they've got some strides to make. Um, I think everybody really you look at them because of the run they made last year. You know, they're down at halftime right in the Michigan State game, I believe, in the uh, in the in the play in game. They come back, they win that game, they go on the big run, and now, you know, they're measured on the final four. So they have no room for error this year from all of us, you know. And so it may take a little bit of time for them, especially getting Riley back. Uh, But, you know, really this Arizona team, you look at their numbers, averaging 90 points a game, and their just ability to protect the rim. Um, I think Arizona's legit. I got a chance to watch Southern Cal and Stanford. If I had to take those – if I ranked those teams – Gonzaga and Arizona are going to be one, two in a, in a 14 poll for me with the West coast teams. Yeah. Where do you stand to you? Uh, I, I love Arizona. I think not only their ability to protect the rim, like coach said, but their, their length on the perimeter is outstanding with Benedict Mathurin, surefire pro. They've got a lot of, they've got a lot to look forward to out there in Tucson. The only thing is, is, is point guard play going to be consistent enough. I think Kirk Creesa is a live wire. Look, guys, he's got a little bit of a riverboat gambler in his DNA, and I like that. But at the same time, whenever you need him to be solid in championship situations, what's he going to do? That's going to be interesting to see Arizona moving forward. UCLA and Gonzaga, that's interesting to me because I almost feel like I'm picking offense or defense because you know Mick is going to have them defending eventually. They're still top 20 in the country in defense. 
I feel like I'm picking one or the other, and I've never picked defense, Coach Brome. You know that better than anybody. You saw me play in high school, so I'm picking offense. I like Gonzaga. Look, they don't play anybody. Uh, I mean, BYU is a good team tonight, but they're favored by 14 and a half points. It's a lot of points. So you know what though? I I kind of I kind of think that this is it's not the worst thing in the world for Gonzaga to kind of get a chance to have their schedule ease up a little bit because Chet Holmgren hasn't made the adjustment to the college ranks that we thought he was going to make early yeah. on, right? Like he hasn't been that dumb. We've seen Jabari Smith be dominant, right? We've seen Paolo Bancaro be dominant. We have not seen Chet kind of reach that dominant level. And I think part of it is because of the strength. Part of it is because uh, when you are for big guys, it's always a little bit difficult for them to kind of adjust to that, that, that the college level where you have more schemes and you have to make more reads and it's not just be seven, one stand in front of the rim and block some shots, right? Like you have to, you have to get out there and move. You have to read the defense a little bit more. And um, that hasn't necessarily been uh, the easiest adjustment uh, in, in the world for him. So I, I, I don't the center think... of gravity is up around his shoulders. Like he's, yeah. he, he goes but, like this. He's so skinny. He can't hold his feet. It's hard for him. But, but it, I think it, Gonzaga is going to be challenged. And, 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 you know, we talked a couple of weeks ago, the whole thing was, you know, the West coast conference, you know, have more teams than ACC. They're going to be challenged. BYU's won there. They know they've won in the kennel. You know, mm-hmm. so they're going in that game tonight with great confidence. And then, like, if you said tonight, like we said, joke about Purdue or the field or, you know, Villanova the field, is Gonzaga going to run the table in the West Coast Conference this year? Are you going one way or the other? I, I, would, I don't. I would take them not to. I would say yeah. that they're not going to run the table. You know, Someone's going to pick them all. Yeah, between going to St. Mary's, going to BYU, hosting both those teams, obviously going to San Francisco. Uh, I'm missing one of the other, Santa Clara. You know, and I've been missing one of the other top five or six teams in that league. But, you know, they'll win the league, you know, I, without question. I believe that. But it's not with an 18-0 or 16-0 record, I don't think. Yeah, and I will tell you this um, about that conference. We know how good BYU is and how good they've been. Um, there have been pros that have come through that program. We know how good Randy Bennett is. He runs great offense. The, the Miller brothers uh, did a big segment on – their next play podcast on St. Mary's and the, the, the ball screen offense that they run. We know how good he is. Uh, I spoke with one coach, though, that coached against San Francisco, who told me that that was the best team that they've played against this season. And they played high major, top 25, like final four caliber programs. And they said that that San Francisco team was the the, the, the phrase, the toughest guard that they had um, in, in, in any game that they played this season. So that's a very good league. Gonzaga is going to end up getting picked off by someone. Uh, Tommy Cousy, the magician. Tommy Cousy. Um, all right, we are still tracking this Oregon-UCLA game. Uh, it is now 69-65. Oregon is still up. Let me ask you guys this. What, what is it about Dana Altman that allows his teams to be so bad sometimes? Well, not always, but a lot of times they really struggle early in the season. And they just find a group. Uh, Steve, let's go to you first on this one. Why is he able to kind of figure things out as the year goes on? What is it about him? Uh, obviously, phenomenal coach. But I think he's, he has, a, you know, he obviously changes defenses a lot. He's got a very, very, you know, aggressive nature defensively, changes defense. Uh, and he's had very good offensive players as well. But I just think Dana's got a lot of confidence, you know, and what he does and who he is and what he's about. And also, Oregon's been a destination for transfers. I think that's a big thing. You look at three of their top six players this year are first-year transfers. When you look at Devian Harmon from Oklahoma, Jacob Young from Rutgers via Texas, um, you know, his teams have always peaked late. And, you know, a couple years ago, it was like, is Oregon going to go to the tournament? Are they going to go to the tournament? And then 
bang, they win the Pac-12 tournament, they go to Sweet 16. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't give up on Oregon until, you know, until the season, they say, you know, to their banquet, you know what I mean, until the season's over and you know that 68 team has been picked for the NCAA tournament. You know, he's too good of a coach, won too many games, and knows how to win. I think yeah. that's the biggest thing. Yeah, T, I'll, I'll tell you this. Um, this game is still not over, right? Uh, it's 69-65, still a minute 45 left. Oregon is up in Pauley Pavilion, which is empty, by the way. There's no fans allowed in that building. But Oregon has definitively been much, much better over the course of the last six weeks or so. Um, they've won three in a row and four out of five. They did lose by three at Stanford, which is something that USC did as well. And they lost in overtime to Arizona state uh, coming out of, I think it was, that was coming out of their COVID pause. So um, what, what is it about them that has allowed them to kind of uh, turn the corner here and improve? Is it just better guard plays, the guys that are making shots? Like what is it about this group that is, that has been getting better? I think the longer you're able to run the spread offense, the better you're going to get at it. That's not necessarily something that's easy to pick up, especially for a bunch of first year transfers. Like, okay, can you, can you just tell me why? Tell me why. Uh, it, it, the cuts and the spacing is awkward. Just coming from a player who's who's run a lot of pick and roll in Europe, I had to come back. I had to run scout team defense and offense for Coach Brownell at Clemson. Playing against that and trying to emulate that spread, because uh, Passner runs a version of it at Georgia Tech. It's not easy. And it's uh, there's awkward cuts that you cut on top of each other sometimes. It's kind of counterintuitive, some of those things, because you have to open up completely one side of the floor. And I think somebody who's on that opposite elbow, like a Quincy Garrier, you put him over there, he can be good, but you still have to figure out where and when you can penetrate effectively. And I think that's a big part of it when you have new guys. Yeah, any, any system base where you talk about in the spread offense where you're cutting and making reads and, and different things like that, it's going to take time where mm-hmm. guys are coming in, especially when you're looking at a, a COVID year where your opportunity to work with guys may be at a limited nature as well, that 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 puts a big strain on an offense when you're looking at concepts and reads and understanding how to play. Yeah, and and to your guys' point, I, I don't think that it's a coincidence that Real Will Richardson has been playing his the best basketball of the season since uh, over the course of the last six weeks. The same can be said about Jacob Young. It's the guards where the, the, that really thrive in those those offenses. The we saw it with like Tyler Dorsey, right? We saw it with um, with Joseph Young. Now we're seeing it with Jacob Young, his younger brother. We're seeing it with Will Richardson, who's just a walking bucket. Uh, so I think that that does make a difference as well. Right now it's 71-67. UCLA is losing. There's a minute and 12 left for the people that are just tuning in. This is the Field of 68 After Dark. My name is Rob Doster. I'm joined by Steve Prohm and Terrence Oglesby. If you do enjoy what you are hearing right now, Go to the YouTube channel. It's called The Field of 68 After Dark. Very obvious. Uh, hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Leave a comment. Let us know what you want to hear more of. That is the best way to engage and the best way to help us if you enjoy this content. So, T.O., you said something earlier about you, uh, UCLA defensively. Um, I don't know if I trust this group on that end of the floor. I think that you run into a situation where uh, when you're going to be really good if you're UCLA and you're going to be really good defensively, one, you're going to have to ask Johnny Juzang to do something that he's not great at. And two, you have to make a decision. Do you want Cody Riley out there and to become better offensively? Or do you want Miles Johnson out there? Who's one of the best defenders at the five spot in college hoops. And I think you put yourself in a tough situation when you have to make that decision. And maybe like your best offensive five 
is not the same as your best defensive five. And I think that we're kind of seeing that a little bit with UCLA right now. They've given up 41 points here in the second half to Oregon. That's not going to get it done at home. No, it's definitely not. But gosh, there's no home home court advantage at all. I'm sitting here looking at the at the entire place. It's uh, it's really unfortunate, really. I think. Yeah. So for for people that are wondering about that, um, the county in California that UCLA and USC are in, same thing with Stanford, uh, has uh, COVID protocols that do not allow arenas to be filled with people. Which you know, can you do? Hey, man, Oregon individually is talented too. Yeah, and I, always, I, Oregon's always going to have players now. I mean, they're yeah. all players. They're going to have players. They're going to get be able to score. It's just can they work out the kinks? If you look at the numbers tonight, we were talking off air. Nafali Dante, man, he's playing well tonight. You know, um, you know, you said Richard, uh, he's playing well tonight, and so that's huge. The one thing about like if you took a poll and said who's the best five defensive coaches in the country, Mick Cronin's going to be in there. I mean. Mm-hmm. You talk, I mean, he's phenomenal, you know, half-court defense. And then hit the matchup zone, the kind of Kevin uh, – Kevin uh, uh, Ralph Willard, excuse me, Ralph Willard, you know, zone that's kind of went through Patino to Kevin plays it some, Mick. That zone is a bear to go against uh, from that standpoint. Now, he doesn't play it as much I haven't seen out there at UCLA. It's more man. But, you know, and that's why the one thing you think at some point UCLA's got to – knuckle up and guard and, and, and compete on that end of the floor at a high level. Yeah, that's when they made their run in the tournament last year, they turned it on defensively. Uh, and, and they have not been doing that right now. It's now 73-67 Oregon, 45 seconds left. It looks like they're going to get it done. Uh, Will Richardson now has 11 points tonight. So I'm going to hit you guys. I teased this a little bit. I'm going to hit you guys with the stat that I was referencing before. Uh, Will Richardson, there have been five games this season where he has not scored in double figures right now, Oregon is one in four in those games. The one win that they have came against Shamanad when Will Richardson uh, went scoreless. When he gets going, they become a much, much better team. Um, and they are eight and two on the year. There are two losses uh, when he is not in double figures at Stanford by three points and at home to Baylor. And there's no shame and losing at home to Baylor. No. Uh, I don't know if they're going to end up winning this game, but going into Pauley Pavilion and taking a lead with 36 seconds left on UCLA tells you what, they, what what you need to know about that group. When Will Richardson plays well, Oregon plays well, and I don't think that it's a fluke based off the offense that Dana Alpin runs. It's a hell of a stat, Rob. Hell of a stat. I told you it was going to be a good stat. Oh, do we have a turnover? Oh, man. Oh, it is. This is great. This is great podcasting right here, right? B- great video content. So UCLA just I, got the ball back. Jules Bernard, air ball. I tell you what, how about Gonzaga's the first half? Jeez. Yes. I mean, they're yes. on pace to get 60. <laughs> well, let's, let's, so let's talk about Gonzaga a little bit because we did touch on them before, but they're still the, – well, they're right now the number two team on Kempom by, like, percentage points. But this is still a team that – um, has had some really impressive wins. This is still a team that has Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren. This is still a team that has Andrew Nemhard with Nolan Hickman, who is going to have a chance to get better and improve and give them a ceiling. With Hunter Salas, who was a McDonald's All-American and a top 10 prospect that has not really found a chance to get it going. Like That's my thing with, with this Gonzaga group is that we've – I feel like we still haven't seen their best. By the way, Tiger Campbell just hit two free throws. 20 seconds left. Oregon's up 73-71. to 71. This is the field of 68 after dark. Uh, so, Steve, while we watch the end of this UCLA game, talk to me a little bit about how uh, 
how does Gonzaga find their ceiling and how how much value do you think is going to be found with Nolan Hick? Oh, we got a steal in Champions tie game. We teased we teed Will Richardson too early. 14 seconds left. I think I think TO's on a delay, so I'm spoiling all of this for him. You are no timeout. Wow. Dana Altman's gonna run it. No Richard timeout. the game winner here. You're gonna spoil it for me. And we're going to overtime. Five more minutes. So I don't think we're going to see the end of this while we're live on the show. I'm about eight seconds behind you. It's unfortunate. Yeah. Well, you know what? Maybe you, uh, you YouTube TV guys. Yeah. You YouTube TV guys. Anyway, so we're going to overtime there, but let's talk about this Gonzaga group because I feel like there's still a chance for them to kind of find a ceiling this season. Right. Prom. Yeah, no question. I mean, you look at, I'm just pulled up the box score for right now. I mean, they're, like I said, they're on pace to get 60. They may even get 65 here. There's four minutes to go. They've got 53 points. They're nine for 14 from three, and they've assisted on 60% of their baskets, 12 out of 20 assisted made baskets, 12 assists on their 20 made baskets. When they're shooting the ball like that, and then because, like, you can look at their numbers defensively and say, man, they've, well, they've given up 35, or they maybe give up 40. But the way they play, the pace that they play with, the amount of possessions, you can't really judge them on points per game. you got to judge them. You got to go down and look at what BYU is shooting from the field now. Um, you know they're shooting forty three percent from the field right now. You know that, that's okay. You probably want it thirty nine if you're if you're elite thirty five thirty five to thirty nine. But I just think Gonzaga continues to get like you touched on Hickman, Salas, Watson, those guys more experience, and that's going to happen against several of the West Coast Conference teams. They're going to have some games like this where it's open. They can get those guys more experience in the second half. And that's going to be huge for them because they have their starters outside of Holmgren are all older guys, experienced mm-hmm. guys that have all been through the rigors of high level basketball. And so they're all seasoned and ready um, for that. And so I, Gonzaga is just, they're too good. They'll be there. They're going to be a one seed or a two seed. There's no question about that. Whether they drop one or two, whether they go 16 or two and or 17 and one, in league play. All right. So I want to ask both of you guys this. Jeff Goodman asked Seth Davis and Randolph Childress this question last night. I loved it. I'm going to steal it. I'm going to ask both of you guys. Put you on a spot. I did not tell you that I was going to ask you this. T.O., I'm going to you first on this one. You have to put your house on one team to win the national title this season. You got to do it. You can't hedge. You have to pick one team. Who is it? Baylor because of their defensive potential, especially in the tournament with their length around the perimeter. And James Akinjo, you got to have strong point guard play. You got to have length. You got to be physical around the basket. I think they have all of those things. Need Matt Meyer to get back to being who he is. If he's able to do that, I pick Baylor to go back to back. Yeah. See, we talked about this a little bit on our, uh, the podcast that T.O. and, T.O. and I do. Uh, why, why isn't Matt Meyer, like, why hasn't he taken that step as a breakout star? I think all of us had him as, like, the guy that was going to be the superstar coming out of the, the Big 12 this season. Why why hasn't he been that guy? Yeah, that's the one thing. Uh, and you say that, and, and I understand that, that. That's the big talk right now. But if you watched the game the other night, not the Texas Tech game, I think it was the Oklahoma game, the last home game, it'll come around at some point because of this play, in my opinion. Big play, Oklahoma is down three. 
okay, or maybe down for less than 30 seconds. Um, I think it was Gibson's trying to get a shot off. Meyer makes an unbelievable block, makes mm-hmm. the block, gets it, goes, reverse layup, and one. And he's, you know, he's he's okay in that role right now. I think part of it when you're playing with stars, when you have freshmen come in, guys like Kendall Brown and some of those other elite freshmen, and then guys like James Akinjo come in that are as good as advertised, you know, they sometimes can just be better, you know, from that standpoint. But Myers got experience. I'm still staying. I would still stay and ride with him uh, because of n- none other than that play right there. You know, you've got he's down with you. All right. So who's your? Uh, you got to bet your house on it. Who are you picking to win the the national title? Man, I'd go. Richardson is roasting people right now. Mick Crone is trying to switch. Cody Riley is getting stuck on an island, and and Will Richardson is putting him on skates. That was impressive. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I go with Auburn right now. You know, I just sitting down watching the Auburn Alabama game the other night. Um, man, does that hurt was, to say a little bit? Does that hurt to say a little bit? I was going to preface it with that, but I was trying to be professional. Yes, it does. Um, <laughs> but you know, Alabama. Uh, made a real for the people that don't know, uh, Steve is an Auburn or is a Alabama alum, yeah. so that's yeah. that's where that comes from. Um, Rough week for you, by the way. I don't, I don't mean to rub salt in the room, but. But yeah, that rough week. That was tough. <laughs> so we, uh, but I thought we'd come back Tuesday night and get that one. But you know, Alabama made a phenomenal comeback, and Auburn responded. Um, I mean, I just—it's kind of like you know, Terrence was talking a little bit about Baylor. I mean, the length, the size, and and people talk about Auburn and the point guard play. It's coming. Flanagan's getting healthy. You know, they've got those guards that are coming along, and then you put Kessler and Jabari Smith. Now, they're going to lose a couple games along the way, but they compete at a high, high level, and they've got a lot of bodies. If I had to go again, just kind of, I'd, I'd, you know, you don't get a second chance, but I'd probably say to get your house back, but I'd probably say Arizona. But um, I, I like Auburn right now. You know, that could change, but I like Auburn a lot right now. And Auburn's always going to, and they're always going to have the best player on the floor. We, we talked about that earlier in the show. Whenever you have the best player on the floor, I don't know, too, to kind of emphasize your point, I don't know that if there's another team in the country that plays harder than Auburn. Yeah. I mean, we that, question point guard play at the beginning of the season. Zeb Jasper doesn't really do anything offensively, but, boy, does he bring it on, on the other end. Yeah. Like, uh, Wendell you know, Green. You on that Auburn-Alabama game? I yeah. mean – and I don't know when the last time Auburn was number one in the country. It may have been back when I was in school when they had Chris Porter and Moochie Norris back in 90, 98, 97, 96, 97, 98. I'm Chris going Porter with the flow? Yeah, Chris Porter. And, I mean, they were good now. I mean, they were legit, legit, legit good. Um, By the way, Auburn, so these two teams Auburn are trading haymakers right now. We got Johnny Juzang making plays off the dribble. We got Jacob Young and Will Richardson playing like they're at uh, – they're a, they're, they're a Dykeman right now. This is, man, this is high-level basketball. And I'll tell you what, guys, I, I, don't, I don't care what their record is right now. This, this Oregon team, when their guards are playing the way that their guards are playing right now, this is a top-20 team in college basketball. They're never going to be ranked that high, and you got to pay for the losses that you took early on this season. But when those guards get going the way that those guards are going right now in this overtime, that, that I mean, you have two guys that you can't guard. I think Altman Altman spends a lot of time piecing guys together where they're best at attacking the rim. Figuring out, but 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 I went through their schedule. Do they have a horrible loss? I mean, 
do you want to say Arizona State? You know, yeah, they should have beat them. You know, maybe Stanford. But they don't have, like, just a loss, you know, at home. Hey, like look, I'll, I'll tell you this much, man. You lose by 32 to anybody, that's a horrible loss. I understand that loss is to BYU. I understand it was on a neutral court. I understand, like, whatever. BYU is good. It's going to look fine on the metrics. That is a 32-point loss. Like, 32. 32 yeah. points. That is a – they were totally uncompetitive. It was never close. I remember watching that game. Same thing with the Houston game. They lost by 29 to Houston. Like, that, those are good teams, yes, but you still have to factor in the fact you got your ass kicked by, by, <laughs> by somebody. Like, you – yeah, so they they do have some horrible losses. I'm I'm yeah. I'm going to disagree with you on that one, Prone. They have some horrible losses. Just, I, I I meant as in just the name of the team. The, you oh know yeah, I mean? no no, you're, you're metric. Yeah, I get metrics. it, I yeah. get it. But like, yeah, you can't lose. I I, I think that if you put the three of us on a team out there. I, I think we might be able to to keep it closer than 32. Maybe not. Who. <laughs> yeah, I guess who? Like, who what, what, we play? What's our frame of? What's the frame of reference there? Who we play? Who's going to guard anybody? <laughs> that's my biggest. That's my biggest question. All right, we got we got two minutes left. UCLA just turned the ball over. Oregon is up eighty-one to seventy-nine. But I'm just for the people that are watching on on stream right now. We're going to hang out. and We're going to watch the end of this. We're going to go. Uh, at Oregon State leading at Southern Cal. Yeah, I saw that too. Weird night in the uh, in the Pac-12. Let me ask you this, Steve. You coached last year um, during a COVID season where there weren't fans in the stands. What kind of what kind of impact does that have on the way that the college game is played? Man, I think a major impact, especially if you're in a place where you're used to you know having great fans. I mean, there's a lot of great places in college basketball uh, in the Big Twelve. Kansas and Iowa State are 1A and 1B when mm-hmm. it's when it's going in there. I'm just being as honest as I can. I mean, when Hilton's going, it's as good as it's as good as there is in the country. There's not a doubt. There's not, that that's not it for a debate. Um, and when you're playing your first game and and nobody's in the stands, you know, or very or, or a, a minute amount of people, and you can hear everything, and there's no there's no passion coming from the arena and the stands and student body that makes a huge difference. Uh, I mean, I watched that Stanford Southern Cal game the other day. I mean, that's tough. And I mean, what UCLA and those guys are doing, I, that's very, very tough and difficult. And, um, but it's what, you know, you know what the part of it is, it, part right of it is that the, the reason why the, the reason why college basketball, I, there were studies that have been done on this, but college basketball and European soccer, are the two sports where home court, impacts officiating more than anything else because i mean look i don't i don't care how good of a referee you are you're still a human and if you're getting screamed at by five thousand drunk students after every single call that goes against your team like eventually that's going to like have some kind of impact on the way that you're you're calling the game that and the fact that they ref five games a week and they're flying all over the country like i I, how do they do that like that's I, i had a talk with amanda butler the women's coach at clemson it's like it's impossible because for them to go back and react to how they called a certain play or a certain game because they're calling another game less than 24 hours later in a completely different city. Mm-hmm. That's hard. That's mm-hmm. hard. I'm not sure. I, I don't know. Look, I, I'm probably speaking out of turn here, but, like, I don't know what the NBA you, schedule is when it comes to officiating. speak out of turn. Well, you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know what the NBA does as far as rest for officials. 
but I, but I, like I'll watch, I'll see Jamie Lucky lumbering up and down. I love Jamie, but he's lumbering. He'll be lumbering on a Monday. He'll he'll turn around. I'll see him again on Tuesday doing a Big East game, and then like some of these guys do five games a week, four or five games a week. It's hard. Jacob Young, dagger, dagger. Oregon is now up eighty-three to seventy-nine on uh, on UCLA with nineteen seconds left in overtime. Big time shot, big time player, tough kid. Uh, he was at Rutgers last season. I think Rutgers uh, would like to have him back on the lineup here. How much does this impact um, their chance of getting to the NCAA tournament? I think it's massive, right? Like when you you get a home win or a road win against a team as good as UCLA is, that that's going to change what your profile looks like. Yeah, and if they've got them twice, you got a chance to sweep them because you got them coming back to your place where I don't know the rules out there with the Pac-12 in Oregon, but, you know, probably do have, you know, can you get fans? That's huge uh, from that standpoint. But also just the confidence, you know, like they're searching. They're trying to figure out their way. We talked about the BYU loss, the Houston loss. They're figuring out the what this – and don't they have Southern Cal coming up here in two days? Yep, Saturday um, on the road. You know, which – you know, you got a chance to have a sweep right there. Now, all of a sudden, you know, when 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 Lenardi or Jerry Palm or whoever, who am I supposed to promote on this show with the bracket? Which bracket am I? We supposed the, the, to whoever you want. We don't we don't have a Sean Paul guy yet. The Sean, Sean Paul. Sean Paul, <laughs> um, Sean, Sean Paul had a bracket. Well, now they're in the field. You know what I mean? Now they're in the field. You know, I mean, it's two top ten wins. Yep. Interesting. Man, I, there we go. All right. We still got a chance here for uh prom. Just so you know, to get a, get an idea of how good Gonzaga was in the first half, BYU hit 10 threes and scored 49 points in the first half. And they are down by 12 at the break. <laughs> that's uh that's pretty impressive. Let me, let me ask you guys this about, about USC. So they entered this week with an undefeated record. They were 13 and 0. They were three and 0 in the pac 12. But their best wins were Washington State on the road, maybe San Diego State on a neutral before uh, Matt Bradley really got it going. And that that's that's about it. They got to win over UC Irvine, whatever. They beat Georgia Tech, okay. They won out Cal, whatever. Um, is this just kind of water finding its level with this USC team? Or, or is it are they being impacted by coming off of a pause? Like, what do you What do you think it is with this group now? I think when you asked, you know, you talked about the top teams out West, it's those four teams, right? Gonzaga, Arizona, uh, UCLA, and uh, USC, right? I think that's why I said one and two, it's Gonzaga and uh, Arizona right now. And obviously, Colorado's coming back in this game right here, but I need to see more from Southern Cal. Obviously, UCLA, we've seen it. We know it's coming. Uh, Mixed one of the best in the business. Uh, And Andy's done a terrific job there as well, but I need to see more. You know, I just need to see more. And then they're in a dogfight right now. You know, mm-hmm. Oregon State's up at half. And, you know, once you lose that first game, you know, how do you handle that? How's the locker room? How's the leadership? You know what I mean? With COVID, now you're having a lot of games in a short amount of time. They just played, mm-hmm. what was it, Tuesday? Now it's Thursday. Got another one Saturday. You you know, how? what's your depth? Are you healthy? It's a lot of questions to be asked. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of prep. It's not the easiest thing in the world to have those those two day preps. But I will tell you this much: it's a great way to get yourself ready for the tournament, where you go, you're going to have those two day turnarounds uh, if you win a game. Um, we got nine point one seconds left. Will Richardson I, heading to the free throw line. Oregon is up by two in Pauley Pavilion. Go ahead, T.O. 
I don't really know what to say about Southern Cal right now. Their metrics say they're a great defensive team because effective field goal percentage is top five. I, but they haven't played anybody. Like you said, their best wins over San Diego State is 33rd on Kim Palm. I'm not a big uh, net guy. I think we've established that. But they, they have to play more people and they have to win big games. I think, you know, we talked about the top four. I think they're fourth right now just because of the quality of their wins to this point. Yeah, and I think, honestly, if if Oregon – oh, we had a missed free throw right there from Will Richardson. We still got a chance. UCLA is still alive. Let me ask you this, Prom. You're up by uh, nine – you're up by three, 9.1 seconds left. Other team has the ball. You're on the road. What are you doing? Are you fouling? Playing it out. I'm going to play, play it. it out. You don't yeah. foul up three? I'm going to play it out, switch everything. And, you know, I, I, I jokingly say when I was in – an OVC, I'd, I'd, I'd do it at uh, Belmont, and then in the, in the Big 12, I'd do it at Kansas. You know, <laughs> outside of that, I'd, I'd play it out. Now, I've, I've done different things in the past, but in, in, my, in my heart, in my gut, that's what, that's what I would do, you know, nine out of ten times. See, that's, in, that's interesting because, uh, what was it, a week or two ago, I was on with Archie, and Archie was like, we're doing it no matter what. That's what we're doing. And you're more so like feel the game. How the hell is the team shooting right now kind of deal? He he was solid in the fact that – I think, what was it, I, between 13 seconds and eight seconds to go, you foul. Uh, less than that, you play. I can't remember exactly what it was, Rob. I, I think it was I think it was like uh, 13 to five, somewhere around there. Yeah, something I, like I would, that. Uh, you know, I've never coached at the level that you've coached at, Steve, but I, I would always tend towards fouling, um, almost always, simply because – I, the way that I view it is so many things have to happen for you to be able to have to go to overtime or lose a game. Whereas all you need is one shot to go in. Um, if you're, if you're not going to foul now, I think it kind of depends on the group that you have and how much you trust them and how well they can handle certain situations. Juzang pulls up, missed it. Still alive. If it goes, nope. And down goes UCLA. Um, you know, I, I, I got to be honest, guys. I think the biggest issue for UCLA is going to be on the defensive end of the floor. You can't give up 85 points. You can't get blown away in switches the way that they got blown away. And you have to be better guarding great guards on the perimeter. Uh, when it comes to tournament time, Steve, we all know this. Great guards are going to be what allows you to win. Um, and I know that uh, that T.O. is pissed over there because I, I spoiled another ending for him. This this is becoming my favorite thing to do on the After Dark show yeah. is to uh, – I love, I love all of this. If I you look it. at the two UCLA losses, it's it's they've given up a lot of points. And mm-hmm. if you look at the trend and, 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 I mean, a lot of the good teams – now, Arizona, obviously, when you think Arizona, you're thinking offense right now when you're talking top ten. But everybody else up there, you know, Baylor, you throw Baylor out there, what's your first thought? Man, they they defend. You know, Texas Tech is the hot team right now. What do they do? Toughness, defend. Um, Auburn. Auburn, throw them out there. LSU, throw it out there. I think it's changed a little bit. I heard somebody on talk radio today were saying, you know, football. I think it was Bill Romanowski was talking, you know, in, in NFL football, would you hire an offensive coach or defensive coach if you want to get to the Super Bowl? NFL is kind of like offense because the rules mm-hmm. changed. We're trying to score. We got to outscore you. I think basketball's kind of flipped now back to where, man, if you're not great on the defense end of the floor, you're going to have a hard time winning, you know. But the elite teams, the teams that are going to have a chance to win regular season conference championships, they're going to be top three, both offensively and defensively, when you look at those Ken Palm numbers, you know, OER, DR, and all that stuff. But, you know, I think the analytics plays a part until 
it's fourth and one on your own 19. And jokingly, we were talking about you go for it where probably should have punted. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. T.O., what do you what do you make of uh, of UCLA? What do you make of Oregon? Give me a one minute wrap up for both for the, for this game. Uh, Oregon is talented. It takes a while. Altman's typically taken a while to get his team together. Those guys are still really good. And Will Richardson's as good as advertised preseason all conference in that league. And, and, you know, he can really score it. So they have weapons. It just takes a little bit of time to adapt and learn how to play together. And those were a lot of big signings guys, like a lot of really good players. It's going to take a minute. Uh, UCLA, you know, defensively obviously is an issue I just also worry and I've said this before they, they rely on making a lot of tough shots too yes. and during the NCAA tournament they made all of those tough shots and for you to have to rely on that in an NCAA tournament setting makes me a little bit apprehensive yeah and and we talked about how difficult it is to to re re-ingrade uh someone like a Andre Corbello into a team UCLA is kind of doing that right now with Cody Riley. He's a guy that plays a key role for them in terms of a press release that you could throw the ball to in the post. So finding a way to get him going. Uh, my biggest takeaway from this game, guys, Oregon is back. I, I'll, I will say it. Oregon is back. Um, you can't look at the way that those guards play today and not believe it. You can't look at the way that those guys, uh, I mean, I think it's as simple as they believed, right? We, we, we've talked about this um, before to you, but I think confidence in situations like this matters almost as much as anything else. Life is confidence. And I think that those guys are starting to believe a little. You go into Pauley Pavilion and win, and I think that you've kind of proven that you believe. So I'm I'm in on the Ducks. I'm still in on on uh on UCLA, but I think they kind of got beat, man. Like I, when it comes down to it, this game down the stretch turned into almost like a one-on-one battle where you had UCLA's guys going to try to make a play and Oregon's guys going to try to make a play. And Oregon had guys that made better plays. Is that uh, you know, that, that seems kind of simplistic, but that's kind of what the overtime period was, no? Yeah, I, I wouldn't give up on either one of these coaches from a standpoint. Like you said, Oregon's coming. Uh, they got a huge one at Southern Cal. Um, they're coming together, you know, offensively, obviously very talented. You know, UCLA, the thing we got to think about when you talk about them, what, where a game like this makes you realize, if they got beat in the second round last year, are they third in the country today? And are we – evaluating them at the same measure. They made that great run. Um, I think they got to stay the course. I think Mick, you, you're not going to bet against a Mick Cronin team. They're going to get better. Uh, they're going to figure out ways to win. But like I said, when you watch them play against uh, Gonzaga that night, it was, it was a lot of one-on-one, it was a lot of tough mid-range shots, you know, and what those lead to, it leads to transition. It leads to a, a pace of play that makes you got to be good defensively. And they're on defense a lot right now. Yep. All right, guys, I told you to come up with a cheers for tonight. This is a new thing that I want to make happen at the end of all of these streams. Uh, as a reminder, this is the Field of 68 After Dark. My name is Rob Doster. That is Steve Prohm. That other guy down there is Terrence Oglesby. He's from Tennessee, in case you didn't know. Uh, make sure you, if you're still listening, hit that subscribe button, hit that like button, leave a comment, do all of those good things, interact with us on YouTube. It's the best way to help us grow and best way to help more people find these shows and these videos. So. Uh, you know what, T.O., I'm going to your fir- to, to you first here. Who's your cheers for the night? It was Chris Murray at Iowa. Keegan's gotten all the pub. Uh, he said, hey, uh, Mom and Dad, I'm here too. Don't, don't, don't forget about me. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty good player as well. 
And uh, what do you go for 28 tonight? Really nice performance. Uh, Iowa has needed some other guys to step up when his brother, I mean, there hadn't been many games where he hasn't been great, but uh, good to see the, the other, the other Murray step up. So sir, cheers to you. Cheers to Chris Murray. What do you got, bro? Uh, you know, we talked about him early. Um, you know, cheers to Greg Gard uh, and the job he's doing up there at Wisconsin. Uh, obviously, some really, really tough to replace a legend. He's done a phenomenal job. This will be six or seven teams. He's taken the NCAA tournament. Uh, the COVID year, he won the Big Ten, didn't get a chance to go. Uh, they got a legitimate chance to win the Big Ten if they can stay the course and that Big Three can can carry him. But uh, I'm really happy for Greg and the success he's having. So cheers to the Cole Center, uh, Salty Dog Cafe, and uh, the Wisconsin Badgers. So I am going with the Paul, with the Blue Demons. Uh, I thought about going with Oregon. We just talked way too much about Oregon. So um, shout out to Will Richardson. Shout out to Jacob Young. Shout out to those guys. Great win for the Ducks. But I'm going with the Blue Demons, man. DePaul almost never gets a win. We almost never mentioned DePaul on the show. Um, Tony Stubblefield. Stubblefield. Nice. Hey, doing, doing a good job, man. Look at their yeah. scores, man. They've only, you know, we talked about BYU Houston being a tough scores. They've only got one league game that's gotten out of hand a little bit, you know, 15, 18. They have been right in the thick of these games for the majority of the time. And uh, he's, he's done a good job of getting them guys that compete yeah. and play. And some more wins are going to follow them. Yeah. It was at so, Oregon uh, last year, ironically enough. Well done, Doster. Yeah. So cheers yeah, to Tony got Stubblefield. You got your Oregon type in. Cheers, cheers to Tony Stubblefield. Cheers to Greg Gard. Cheers to Chris Murray. And cheers to the field of 68. Sirius XM, baby. Let's go. Yep. Congrats. That was my other cheers, too, but you guys were all going basketball. You Are you going to get on Terrence for having a Carolina Panthers Cup? Washington won seven games. They won five. I think they won five. Maybe six. You know? Are we still on air? I 